Hallelujah. We're believing we get through this service with no tripod in the middle. We have, for those of you who are watching on a continuous basis, you know, for, for whatever reason, for the last month, we have, we have had all kinds of challenges. Uh, Harry has been on this, with the streaming company back and forth doing diagnostics, all kinds of things. We've checked with cable companies, I guess, and all kinds of everything that it's just the devil. <laughs> it's just the devil, man. It's just the devil. He hates, uh, he, he hates things that change people's lives. So, hallelujah. We win. We win. So, praise the Lord. This morning, I have the distinct privilege of asking one of my really goodest, <laughs> goodest friends to come and share for a few moments. And uh, it's really dangerous. It's super dangerous when you ask a preacher to take the mic. It's just, and especially a Rama Bible College graduate. It's, that's dangerous too. So uh, Jim Overbaugh is here with his lovely wife Donna this morning, and they're down in Florida doing some things that the Lord has assigned them to do, and uh, they thought they would come by today. Jim, I think, was here a year or so ago, weren't you? Or was it? T- oh, so it's been a couple, yeah, wow. It's been a while back. So, but we're, we're buddies, and you know, real buddies um, are just like, <laughs> It's, it's so funny, you can see, it, you can be for years, not see each other, and then you just take right up. So when he walked in the office this morning, and I didn't know he was fixing to step in, but, you know, he starts stuff that just has me, you know, la- you know bent over laughing. I'm like, Jim, you don't change, man. You're, you're crazy. I mean, he's, he's, he's not certifiable, but he's, <laughs> Donna keeps him kind of straight, I hope, so, yeah. But he's great. He's a very close friend. We knew each other in Florida, uh, and years before, you know, both of us went in full-time ministry, and uh, Jim went to Rainbow Bible College, and, and he has a very powerful, strong, he and Donna together have a very strong, powerful ministry in Montana, Missoula, Montana, where they have a church there. And uh, so, like I said, he's down here on assignment. Jim and I, we we were we were friends, always friends. Uh, traveled together. We, we sang in a group together. Um, he is he's like a lot older than me. Like I think it's what we're like three or four days apart or something like that. Birthday twelve. We're twelve days apart. Okay, yours was on the first of January, okay, the thirty first of December. December. Oh. He's really a lot older than me. He's not in the same year I am. <laughs> and he always says he's taller, but if you st- stand us, I mean, it's like, it's debatable. You know, it's, that's debatable. So, and we're always trying to figure out who's got the most hair and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, but we're, we're good buddies. And I shouldn't even say any of that stuff because I don't trust him <laughs> when he gets up here. But come and exhort for a little bit and... Uh, Praise the Lord. Say some wonderful things about your wife. I'm sure. She, hey, hey, look at her. <laughs> Is this on? Yeah. I meant to say dime store cowboy heels. My wife, Donna, of 34 years. Honey, would you stand up? She's a great gal. I met her at Bible College um, when we went, or when I went. I went from here, and Donna went from uh, Northern California, and so uh, uh, they call it Rama Bible College, but a lot of folks call it Rama Bridal Training Center as well. So, 
And I didn't go uh, expecting to find my wife, but I found her there. And uh, she is an excellent lady. She's very strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And uh, she's wonderful to have as a partner in ministry. And very similar to Bronx wife, Candy. She's a great lady. And we know she has to be because, well, <laughs> we don't need to say any more. But, uh, you know, uh, back in 1983, um, that was a long time ago. Some of you weren't born then. I'm looking around younger faces. But um, I got right with God. I was raised in a Christian home and got right with God after running from him for a few years. Knew I had the call of God in my life and ended up in Fort Myers because I lived in Punta Gorda and ended up in Fort Myers at the First Assembly of God Church where Bronk was. And I had prayed. I said, Lord, I... I need a friend because I walked away from everybody that I knew in the world. And how many of you know if you're going to serve God, you gotta you got to leave some of those old folks because they'll just drag you down. You can't ride the fence with that. And so I said, I need a good friend. And so I met Bronk, and I knew there's, there's a friend. We've been friends ever since. And uh, met Candy and Dave. Dave. Dave's like dad. And, of course, Peggy. She's gone to be with the Lord. And so my parents... We're friends with this family, and, and I became good friends with them as well. In fact, I lived with Dave and Peggy for four months before I went to school and ate their food. And, you know, we had a good time in the Lord. But uh, I was thinking this morning, when you guys are worshiping the Lord, wonderful. Um, understand this when you come and you take the time to worship when you come to church, when you on purpose make a decision to do that, you're posturing yourself so that God can do things in your life. And those are the things that you do on purpose. You don't do them because you feel like doing that all the time, because you do, if you went by the way you felt, you'd probably still be laying in the bed this morning, right? And thinking, oh, the Super Bowl. Is it today? I haven't, I haven't followed it this year at all. And, um, but, you know, you would understand by understanding sports too, especially like football, um, a wide receiver has to posture himself in order to catch a, a ball that the quarterback throws to him. But the quarterback doesn't wait to throw the ball until the guy gets in position. The guy has to get into position, and when he turns, the ball is there. If they know what they're doing. <laughs> if, if they know what they're doing, that quarterback and those receivers can be exactly where they're supposed to be at the right time, at the right moment, and all they have to do is have hands that are worth the millions that they pay them. And so spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. You have to posture yourself. You have to be in the place where God wants you to be. Because there's some people that didn't come today for whatever reason, and they've already missed out on the past that God is sending to them. You've postured yourself. You do things spiritually on purpose. You on purpose take time with Jesus during the week. You on purpose make that decision. And if you always just keep living by your choices and your decisions for God, then your feelings won't control you. They won't take you on a roller coaster up and down. Excuse me. They won't take you away. You won't backslide ever again. You'll be where you're supposed to be because you postured yourself on purpose. Amen? And so uh, that's what I want to say. And uh, we love you. We appreciate you. Oh. I just want to let you know what's happening. Now, I'm from, uh, we pastor a church in Missoula, Montana. Has anybody ever been there in Missoula? You've been to Missoula? That's way up in the Rockies. 
in the extreme western side of the state of Montana, which the state of Montana, by the way, is the size of Germany, and only Germany has 90 million people, and we have a little over a million, so there's a lot of free land. Well, it's not free. Nothing's free. <laughs> but um, I checked the temperature there this morning. It was uh, said 16, and then I checked it again, and it said 14, so it was going down, and the high on Thursday is supposed to be minus 2. So uh, we're enjoying your warm weather. <laughs> But uh, we're glad to be here, and I'm just going to turn this back to Pastor Bronk. And <laughs> hallelujah. So, hallelujah. We're, uh, the next time that Jim and Donna get down here, we'd love to have him come and share with us and preach for us. So they'll let us know. Hallelujah. I guarantee you you'll hear faith-filled message. You don't go to Rama and hear anything less. Hallelujah. And of course, he's went on to have his own very powerful and personal relationship and fellowship with the Lord. So we appreciate that. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for your giving. Those of you that continue to give online and those that are just all about, um, we, every once in a while, we'll do a teaching on, you know, maybe even an extended teaching on giving and you're very versed in here on that background, but it really all depends on your own volition. In other words, how much um, that you're engaged in wanting to be a part of helping us get this message, the, what I would call the true gospel, the message of the true gospel. And so thank you so much for being sensitive. And I'm going to ask you again this morning without any kind of word exhortation, just to, again, those of you that are watching you can give on PayPal and through, um, you know, or you can send it in, but most people are giving on PayPal nowadays. So thank you very much for all of you in here this morning. Let's just pray. Father, thank you. Our desire always is for them first to be blessed, and out of that blessing, they're able to extend, Lord, your blessings. So we just thank you and we praise you for it. And we speak blessings over their homes, their their businesses, their workplaces, their employments, in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this offering. Amen. Let's all stand together again, and uh, if you have something, if you can give us something, Renee, to bring this down with, and, and if you have something to bring, blessings, hallelujah. So I'm glad I was reminded because, and I said please remind me. So um, another couple that is very important to me and to this church I would call him an associate in helping and ministry and pastoring, and that is Brother Homer Betancourt. So um, he'd like to share for just a few moments on a very um, uh, important topic in his life, and that is Miss Rosie, because it's their anniversary. Okay. Would you please come? He's asked to share for a few moments, so amen. Glory to God. And those of you that are watching, uh, you know Homer. So um, he's a little bit like Jim. <laughs> you don't know what to expect, but it's always good. Now he'll be really good because he's saying good things about his wife, I hope. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, 
won't be long, a couple minutes. Uh, 30 years with her on a Tuesday, the anniversary. Uh, I wasn't going to say nothing, then I was, and then I wasn't. Then I just felt, where's she at? Okay, well, you can stay there then. <laughs> no, I just want to, uh, there's two things that I'm sensitive about in my life. That's my wife and my God. Or my God and my wife, rather. Let me rephrase. Because God's been merciful to me. I cry a lot when I preach the gospel. Because I'm just so glad to be alive. Just, oh, you know the story. I've said it a million times. And survived so many things and I'm still alive. And my wife's always been there for me every night. Was out and about in the world doing no good. I would go home. She was there. And she has been, she reminds me of Miss Candy. I asked her the other day, I said, baby, what's, what's your calling in God? What's God called you to do? She says, honey, I'm called to be your wife. I'm called to support you in whatever you do. What do you say about something like that? No, honey, what's your calling in, in, as, as a Christian? I'm called to be your wife. I'm called to be a mother. I'm called to support you in whatever you do. What do you do, man, other than you're just amazed at what you hear? And I just want to thank her. It's 30 years. I never thought I could make it. Many times she almost left me, but thank God she never did. She said, I wanted to leave you so bad. I hated you, but I couldn't leave you. That was 28 years ago. Two years after being married, she hated me. I hated her. We slept in different rooms, but then we met Jesus. And Jesus instantaneously restored our love for each other like never before. Slept in different rooms. I hated her. She hated me. I woke up. Hey, I gave my life to Jesus. She said, good, now get out. <laughs> A week later, she gave her life to Jesus. And here we are, 30 years later, six kids later. To make a long story short, I just want to give her thanks because she's put up with so much. She's put up with, who said amen? How do you know? <laughs> what did she tell you about me? She's put up with so much. And this Pastor Brown's been whispering. But um, it's just, just a list of things that she's been buying me. I just, it's just incredible. It's just she has redefined what a godly woman should be. She's redefined it. When I had a good job, she wanted nothing. She's always last at the table, last. She's just always cleaning. Just she, she thinks she's Bob the Builder. She thinks she's an electrician. She's on Google trying to fix the commode herself. She's got a 50-pound bag of fertilizer in one arm and throwing fertilizer out with the other arm. She pulls weeds. She paints, she works. When I had, when they wanted to amputate my foot, she was in the hospital wing for nine days, never left. She did bathe. When I had uh, an operation in my eyes where I was in so much pain, I didn't even want to live. She was right there every day. I would hear her say, I could give you my eyes if I could. I said, what can I do to help you? And she would just hold me. 
I was in so much pain, I didn't want to live. She was right there by my side. When COVID hit me real hard about three or four months ago, she said, when I left you at the hospital by yourself, she said, I cried all the way home because I had to leave you by myself. I've just never met another woman like her in my life. 30 years, she's put up with me. 30 years, she's worked, cooked, cleaned, raised six kids. Two of the kids were not her biological kids. She never treated them any different. She is an incredible, incredible woman. I would not have put up with her the way she put up with me. I would have left her the first year. <laughs> Seriously. Always there, Pastor Bronk. Through all the junk, through all the drugs, through all the, you know what? She was always there. And I praise God. She said to me, all them years, all the first couple years, I wanted to leave you, but something did not let me. Well, I'm glad, sweetheart, that you obeyed that something. Because you gave me. Six kids, one's with Jesus, but you are one of a kind. And I thank God that he gave you to me. You said the other day that you were, all you wanted in life was to be a wife and a mother. That's not the modern day woman anymore. We got feminist movements. She said, I've always wanted to be a wife have a lot of kids. Well, honey, you're my wife and we have a lot of kids. And saying that, I'll say this. We've had good teachers in Pastor Bronk and Miss Candy. We've learned from them. We've learned from each other. And what do you mean you've learned together? We've endured a lot. God's been on our side and we lack nothing. And before the body of Christ, I want everyone to know that I love you more than you will ever, ever know. Happy 30th anniversary to me and you. Thank you, Pastor. Man, that guy sets the bar high, right? Woo! Man. Now every wife is going to be <laughs> expecting. That was really wonderful, but that may get other men slapped. Mm. I got a text from Jim Martin uh, yesterday evening, and it was Jim and Kathy's anniversary also, so 30, 39 years. So they tells you that was so wonderful. Praise God. We appreciate Rosie so much, don't we? Man, hallelujah. We will have prayer tonight at 6. Um, what about this? I don't know. Well, I don't even know who's, I mean, I don't even know what time it starts. It doesn't really matter to me, but I, if it's, we get out of time, I'll probably watch a little bit of it, but just because for old time's sake, but hallelujah. None of those guys ever sent an offering here. It doesn't matter to me. I doesn't, I mean, I've never, none of them have, they haven't sent anything here yet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Has any of those guys playing today uh, ever sent your church any mega offerings, Jim? No? 
Hallelujah. Tonight we will, from time to time we show videos. We'll probably have Miss Gate lead us in our confessions, our word-based confessions over this city and revival. And then afterwards we'll have, now listen, if you have any ability to get here tonight, you'll want to watch this 50-something minute video with us. It's, it's, I believe this lady is uh, she's Christian-based, but you want to see some facts about COVID and about the vaccine. You really do need to watch this, and especially if you're a woman in the childbearing years. You really, really need to watch this. You really need to watch this, and anybody that's contemplating um, I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. I'm just going to let you watch somebody that's incredibly, incredibly brilliant, but puts it all right down and has been one of the frontline doctors from, this is Dr. Gold is her name, and uh, you need to watch this, okay? You really, 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 really need to watch this and tell your friends about it, okay? Hallelujah. All right. Let's get into the word here in a little bit right now. So, Father, we give you all the praise and glory. There is none like you. And we're so thankful to be in this house with friends, with family, all our family. But we are friends among family. And so, Father, we love you. We commit ourselves to you and to this hour of ministry of your word and teaching so we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. We're going to continue kind of on the subject where we were at Wednesday night, but a little bit further on there were two trees in the garden. But really that was birthed out of Philippians 3, um, 10. And we'll have you turn to some verses maybe here in a little bit, but right now we'll just exhort a little bit. But it's really, I'll just tell you what I'm going to tell you. It's still on the same subject of intimacy. And that's where God has us right now. That's where God has me. And I think that's where God has much of the church with everything that he's saying to us Paul said this in Philippians 3 10 he said that I may know him not about him there's a big big difference and then he says in the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable unto his death a few weeks ago the Lord had me do a lesson on the four I just termed it this it didn't really matter what you called it but it's it was called the four pillars of Philippians 3.10, and really in that, we started out by teaching that the first heartbeat of Paul was for him to say, this is, you know, he went into that whole litany of everything that he was, and then he says this, he says, you know, all of that I, I consider as dung, except for this purpose that I may know him, and again, we've went into to telling you this, and I'll tell you what I've told you again, is that this knowing, if you look it up in the Greek, is far more than just knowing about. It really carries the whole understanding of intimacy to the point where a man would know his wife in intimacy. So Paul was describing to us, and he was trying to get over to us, in all of everything that he was, his heartbeat number one was to know Christ, was to know him in a place of of intimacy where Paul and Christ could fellowship together in this place and everything that Christ was he could get over to Paul now the rest of those things that I would call you know the nuances of this verse because they're very close to one another but when he says uh, the power of his resurrection we went into that and the fellowship of his sufferings uh, 
and then being made conformable to his death, one of the things that we shared Wednesday night was that all of those things are really the feeders. Those are the feeder bands, or those are the things, that, those are the roots that actually supply the essence of intimacy. In other words, if you can convey, if you can get your, 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 your life in a posture, that word posture was is so strong when, when Jim was exhorting this morning, if you can get your life in a posture where that you're seeking him and able to convey over to him in intimacy in those times of face-to-face fellowship, if you can convey over to him your desire to be conformed to his image and to die to all of your self-ambition and to die to all of your self-assertions and all of everything that you want, even in Christendom, even in in Christ, we, we oftentimes equivocate ministry and knowing him they're two different things they're two absolutely different things and you'll only get to know him in intimacy by your personal fellowship and your personal worship time private worship paul said this a little later in that same chapter He said, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That word press, if you look it up, it's the word pursue, but it also carries right along with it the word persecute. And it's really a kind of an aggressive, violent kind of word. In other words, Paul was saying this, I want to know him so much that anything anything or everything that ever gets in my way that would try to block me knowing him in this intimate pursuit, it has no chance. I'll persecute it out of the way. I'll take it out of the way. But he says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling. And and again, if you read that whole chapter and you meditate it, you understand this, that ministry was not his high prize. His apostleship was not his high prize. His high prize was to know him face to face. His high prize was to be transformed continually into the image of Christ. So as we look, we kind of shared some things on the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, that takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis. So why don't you turn there with me? We said some things about the types and the shadows. You cannot find, I said this in integrity of the word, you really can't find in scriptures where it says Jesus is the tree of life. But there is so much typology. There's so much symbolism. Um, you know that he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. Genesis 2, 7, it says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And of course, both of those were in the midst of the garden. The same understanding carries for for both of them. Now, I've got several notes this morning. 
And as you well know, many a times I'll have nothing in front of me, but sometimes he has something very specific to say. And so he scripted this in the sense of the word that he wanted me to have these in front of me. So follow along with me. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, usually, and I think we'd all say amen, usually gets the most notoriety than, than the tree of life. In other words, even in sermons, even in teachings, we, we talk about that the fall took place in Genesis 3 because of what they disobeyed. They took of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Can you imagine? Now, now I, I don't have this in my notes, but I'm thinking about this right now. Can you, can you imagine if man would have never, if he would have never disobeyed? There was only really one commandment. Don't eat of that. That was the whole Bible. That was the whole Bible. Can you imagine going through life and, I mean, <laughs> the whole King James Version. Don't eat of it. No, no, you know, whatever it exactly says. But, the, you know, even if they produced all kind of versions, Amplified, New American Standard, NIVs, they'd all say the same thing. <laughs> Amplified say, bro, don't eat of that thing. <laughs> but there wouldn't have been no problems. And that would have been the only, that was the only, only commandment. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did God plant them in the midst of the garden and why not on the fringes? Why was it, why does the word, because the word doesn't mention anything inadvertently. Everything is specific for a purpose. He planted them in the midst of the garden in the midst of the garden because the garden is you and whatever you are eating from is who you are. I want to take just, you know, some liberty here for just a little bit because the subject is intimacy and we know that the knowledge of good and evil or the disobedience to eat of that tree when Satan deceived Eve and 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 Adam turned you know we won't go into that that's not our assignment this morning but that was a treason it was an absolute treason on God and Adam calculated when he saw Eve eat he had to actually calculate in his brain or in his emotions or in his thoughts and say no wait a minute uh God said the moment that we eat of that, we're going to die. And they did. They did. They died spiritually. It took 900 and something years for them to die physically. But spiritually, they died at that moment. But can you imagine what he had to override? Because he had to come to this summizing. He had to come to this summizing. He had to say, okay, I watched her. Because he was right there. The Bible says she gave of him. I mean, he, she didn't have to go find him someplace in the garden. He watched her, and he must have thought, hey, she didn't die. So the whole thing was that he had, to, he had to surmise this. God's a liar. He, he said, we, this is, this is going to happen. It didn't happen. And he, partake, he partook, and the both of them, of course, we, we know that story. They died spiritually at that moment. It took a while for their bodies to, to go to death. But God planted those two in the garden, those two particular trees, Jesus said this. Now, we're turning this towards intimacy. Jesus said, where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Now let's, let's talk about this in a sense of the word inside of Christ, inside of the church. Um, why, when man was self-containing, did God plant a tree of life? Let's just talk about the tree of life. Let's turn it towards the tree of life. Um, Genesis 3.8 says this. You're right there, so it's easy to look at. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, we broke all that down, the cool of the day, before it, it has a, uh, in, in the Hebrew, it means in the spirit time. In the time of when they normally were able to fellowship with one another. But here, here's what I want you to see this morning is this. Even besides, okay, Adam was created. Uh, the Bible says that God breathed the breath of life in him. He became a living soul. And there was, by, by all definition of what we understand today, uh, Adam had that spirit of life in him. That born, of, we would call it now born again. Adam wasn't born again. He was created with this life inside of him. So we'd equivocate that now to what we now have been restored in Christ with the, the born again nature. But if Adam had that life in him already, okay, come along with me. If Adam already had that life, and that life is self-containing. In other words, you don't have to pray. To, in other words, you should pray. But if you're born again, in other words, if you don't do the things that, you know, 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5 and Ephesians 5 and all those tells you, those are killer sins. If you don't continually compound your spirit with those uh, and destroy that image, you'll live out the rest of your life and make heaven. So they had that life in them. That's self-containing. It doesn't have to have prayer on a daily basis for that to stay, that candle to be lit. And, and then, besides for that, God would come in the cool of the day or the spirit time, the Hebrew talks about. God would come in that time, and he would share himself with them. They would have that relationship. <laughs> well, why then put a also tree of life in the midst of the garden? Why also put that in there? They were self-containing because they had the life of God, life in them. And God would visit them, and yet there was a tree of life planted to visit on their own disposal or on their own volition. In other words, not just because he's coming, but because I can go at any time to the tree on my own and eat of that fruit. And that fruit speaks of, that tree speaks of intimacy, fellowship, and continual place. Listen, God will come and give you a kiss, <laughs> hoping and back off, hoping that you'll come and pursue him. Presence that you, we feel in church, that's not the intimacy that we're supposed to, that's not our, that's not our spirit time, that's not the intimacy that builds who we are. Our, our, these are kisses in his presence. These are flirts in his presence. These are come away with me in his presence. These are, these are introductions to say there's far more. God would visit them, but they could visit God anytime they wanted to. 
by the spirit by the by the tree of life <laughs> glory be to god intimacy intimacy cannot be forced intimacy cannot be commanded intimacy is not a law your closeness to him can only be dictated by your hunger not his do i need to read that again intimacy cannot be forced intimacy cannot be commanded intimacy is not a law your closeness to him can only be dictated by your hunger not his so this is why men like smith wigglesworth they could they had all the power but because they had all the intimacy if you were we, we would probably feel very comfortable uh, uncomfortable in his presence because i mean one one i wonder if he would think any of us are really saved you know, he wouldn't allow a newspaper in his house. I don't know what he'd think about our TVs. A couple of commercials would, he'd probably, he'd probably walk out in the street and wipe the dust off his feet. I don't know. But, but what I've read about him, what I know is he was in continual posture of knowing the Lord. You couldn't be in his presence that like every 15, 20 minutes, he'd say, we need, we need to pray. Or he'd pull out a New Testament that he had and he would, he would read from the word he stayed in a continual fellowship. Dad Hagen said that it took him years sometimes, I don't know how long he said, to learn how to get in that place. To start with, it took him hours. Then he cut it down. Is that right, Sister Barbara? You were telling me that the other day. He cut it in half, and he cut it, and he cut it. He learned how to get in that place until where he, he found out he could just stay in that place. You can just stay in that place. But you have to... You have to you have to go to that place and court him on a continual basis. You can't find it just in church. You can't just find it just, uh, uh, well, we'll cover that in a little bit. I was, I was going to say something about, a man said to me the other day, he's a close brother and all of you know him, he's a wonderful teacher. He said, when I heard one of your recent messages on intimacy, he said, Man, I was so convicted I had to repent. Now, these are not his words verbatim, but he said, I have read too many books about him instead of spending time with him. I've spent too much time hearing lessons about him or this or that and other. Listen, all those things can be wonderful, but they cannot give you what face-to-face can give you. Genesis 2.16 says this, And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat verse 17 says but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die i want you to notice this notice that they were commanded not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's understandable but they were not commanded to eat of the tree of life. Did you hear me? There was a command, don't eat of that tree. But he said nothing about the tree of life. 
He didn't tell them, I command you, go eat of that tree. Why? Because to eat of the tree of life is self-induced. It is only available by choice. God is conspicuously absent from saying anything there about the tree of life. One, he says, one will kill you. But I'm just going to mention to you that it is available. It's in the midst of the garden. But I'm not going to tell you to go eat of it. That's your volition. That's your choice. They had life in themselves. They had bodies that would never die. Everything was provided for them. They, were, uh, they, 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 visited, they were visited by God in the cool of the day. And yet, even when God did not visit them, they could go and visit through the tree of life. That's symbolic of, I can go to you, Lord, anytime, all the time, and stay in fellowship with you. The born-again spirit is self-containing with life, and yet it is not created to live apart from the tree of life, which is intimacy with Christ. Oh, it's self-containing, all right. There's no argument about that. But it is not, the DNA in it is not created to be and live apart from a continual going to him and spending time in his presence. From the very beginning, God was preaching a gospel of the intimacy in Christ. God, as I said before, but I'll read it from my notes now, God will come and kiss you in a service only hoping to create a self-induced hunger for you to search out his tree of life. Hallelujah. You know, really, this is the whole, if you read, if you read the Song of Solomon, it's a saucy book, <laughs> but nevertheless, it's God's big, if you want to say it this way, flirt to the church or to anybody, male or female, to come away with me. You know, that whole thing where um, the, the, the bride is in the bride chamber and the groom just puts his hand in through the lattice. He doesn't reveal his whole self. He just puts his hand in there and then she gets up, but he's gone and she has to search for him throughout the city. The whole thing is, will you pursue me? Now listen, revival lives in intimacy. But our whole, our whole desire is this, what stands in front of revival, what stands in front of all of our assignment is this, we desire to know him above and beyond all things in this life. Knowledge of that tree, just because you know that that tree exists, knowledge of that tree doesn't mean that you go and visit that tree. We can hear messages and we, all of us, I'm including myself, we can all amen to everything that we hear and see and believe concerning the word, concerning intimacy and fellowship in him. But unless we do it, it doesn't, there's never that transaction. There's never that place in us. It can't be dictated it has to be a place where it's experienced it has to be a place where it's continually experienced 
Knowledge is not enough. Paul did not say, as I said before, he did not say he wanted to know about Christ. He wanted to know him. Now listen to this. Now this is just a paragraph, a long paragraph of one of the recent prophecies that we received last year. And the Holy Spirit said this, and he said it best. So I want to to read it to you again this morning because it has everything to do with our intimate place. He said this, understand this, that in worship and in true adoration, more can be accomplished in you through my spirit than hours of preaching and teaching. More can be deposited in you than months of preaching and teaching when your spirit yields to my spirit. Then all of everything that I have taught you about myself through my spirit and my word comes into fullness, says the spirit of grace. I'm not looking for mechanics. What he's talking about is formulas. I'm not looking for mechanics in these days. I'm looking for intimacy. All truth lives in intimacy. All studied truth and meditated truth, though it may be truth, If it's not immersed or mingled with intimacy, it will only be formulas. But I say unto you, take hold of every moment of intimacy, both in the service and in your places of private worship. Let these things go deep into your spirit. Desire them, lust after them. Count them as the greatest part of your life and the most valuable part of your life, says the Spirit of grace. Hallelujah. Listen. Knowledge is not enough. Doctrine is not enough to live in the fullness. Doctrine's not enough to live in the fullness of God. You must eat of the tree of intimacy. As I said concerning my friend, but I'll say this again, books, study guides, preachings, and teachings are not intimacy with him, but they are vehicles. They're vehicles to intimacy. This is why most, <laughs> this is why most uh, prayer meetings are not real prayer meetings. You know, I've been to a lot of prayer meetings. I invi- I'm invited all the time to men's prayer breakfasts. And, and listen, it's okay to go and have breakfast and fellowship, but they're not prayer breakfast. They're fellowship. Most, in most churches, most gatherings, prayer meetings are you know, if, they, if, they do, if people do show up, if they happen to show up, uh, and it's a two-hour prayer meeting, they usually will gather around, talk. They'll find somebody to talk to, and they'll talk for about an hour and 45 minutes, maybe squeeze in 15 minutes of prayer and leave and say, my God, we're praying. We're praying in revival. Now, I'm not trying to fellowship's good we need fellowship at times but listen even the the intimacy that 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 i'm trying to describe this morning that he's getting across and and you're good listeners i'm I, i believe it's getting across but this intimacy cannot even be experienced here it can't even be experienced with someone i don't want i don't want anybody nobody can they just can't they can't be in that place with me in intimacy Sometimes Candy and I, you know, we'll, I'll get up very early and uh, the stars are still out and I'll be praying 
and early in the morning, Candy will come in, and she'll sit down with her coffee, and she, but in a little bit, she'll go in her place. She'll have her time of prayer. But listen, the things that happen between me and him, the things that happen between you and him, it only can take place in a place where there's a privacy, where you're weeping, you're crying, you're out of words of adorations, the things that you want to say to him really can't even be heard by other people at times. In truth, you can't go to this place in a public or with anyone else, as I said. Go with me to uh, Exodus 33. Now, this is a type and shadow. It's amazing because here's a man with a dead nature, really, but is following in a, in a, in a type and shadow what I'm trying to describe this morning. Go to Exodus chapter 33. I want you to look at a, a place in Moses' life. We've read this before. We've probably ministered on it a few times where Moses refused to go forward without the presence of God. Exodus 33, of course, you know, the children of Israel are always doing something to very get God, you know, stirred up. I mean, one right after, and God is at times is like, that's it. It's over. I'm not, you know, capiche. No, no, it, it's over. And this was one of those times, and the Lord said in verse 1, Unto Moses, depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou shalt, which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, and to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. God said this, and I'll just break it down to our vernacular. God said this, I'm so mad at the camp that I'm not, I've got a promise. I promised you that I was going to take you into all the promised land, but I myself I'm not going, because if I go with you, I'm going to kill all of you. <laughs> but to keep my word, I will send an angel, and he will do it for you. And I'll keep my word. I won't lie. Everything I told you, but I myself am not going. My presence or my intimacy with you is not going with you. God was, God, God was saying, I will fulfill my promise to bless you, but I'm not going. My intimacy is not going with you. And you know what? Here's the sad part. Most preachers really don't know the difference, and they really don't care. Many preachers, they don't know the difference. They don't know the difference between God having to bless them because the word is true, and God blessing them because they are in a posture or they are in a place where they know him face to face. And all the nectar, all the life, all of the, the presence of who he is is able to flow through them uninhibited because their heart's desire. Listen, <laughs> I, think there's, I think there's a large majority of preachers and pastors 
that would say, I'll take that deal. You know, I'll, I, you know, I'll take that deal. If I don't have to spend a lot of time <laughs> locked away in prayer, if I don't have to, if that's, if I can get by, if I can kind of, if I can shortcut that, if I can shortcut the hours of fellowship necessary for a face-to-face relationship, but you'll give me, you'll still, you'll still provide, you'll still bless, you'll still multiply. I'll take that deal. You know what that is? That's, a, that's treason, treason against intimacy. It's treason. Demas was mentioned twice in positive scriptures in Colossians and in Philemon as a traveling companion of Paul. And if you travel with Paul, you had to have a close relationship. But in Paul's last book to Timothy, he said this, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I don't know if Demas, I don't know that that was saying he lost his salvation, but it does say this, something in Demas's life, even, even though doctrine, doctrine couldn't hold him. He was hearing the best doctrine in the world by Paul. This wasn't written yet, but Paul was speaking it to the church, and Demas was right on the front row because he was a traveler. And yet Demas, at some point, lost that intimacy with Christ himself and went back into the, when it says it went back into the world, it just meant he, he just said, you know, my, my, <laughs> why are you laughing, Pastor? Because I've heard it so many different times. When somebody wants to n- not follow Well, Pastor, I, I believe my, my ministry here at this church is over. God's calling me in a different direction. <laughs> what you mean is you're quitting. You just mean you're quitting. You, are you moving somewhere? No, but he's giving me a different direction. <laughs> Hallelujah. Kenneth Hagin used to say, don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. (laughs) Hallelujah. If God will bless their ministries, then they will trade that for hours of necessary, the hours necessary to find him in intimacy. Verse 9 says this, if you're still in that same chapter of Exodus, it says, and it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped, and every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, and his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me bring up this people and thou hast not let me know whom thou hast sent with me yet thou hast said i know thee by name and thou hast also found grace in my sight in other words god has continued to testify to moses that he stood in a good position with him even though the the children of israel didn't now therefore i pray thee I have found, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, 
that I might find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, okay, here's God kind of recanting. He said, because of this intercession, this is what Moses is doing, making intercession. He said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And then Moses said to him, he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Vernacular. Lord, if you're not going, I'm not going. Angels, not good enough for me. Your presence, I have to have your presence. I have to have your face-to-face communion. Nothing of power. Let's see, we're all the time talking about miracles, the blind see, the lame walk, deaf hear, dumb speak. Amen. But I'm not seeking him on a daily basis for the things that will cause goosebumps in the days ahead. Those things will happen. They will be a free flow of everything that God has for his church. This gospel, Jesus said, Matthew 7, 14, this gospel, the one that I've shown and preached and administrated in front of you for the last three, three and a half years, this gospel will be preached. In other words, it will be demonstrated in the earth. That's one of the last things that will happen. So there is a great harvest coming. We know that, absolutely. But it only happened in Jesus' Jesus's life because he continually stayed in a place of intimacy. And Moses was like, uh-uh. I'm glad you said you were going because this was my next thing to tell you is that if you weren't going, I'm not going either. Me and you will sit here and we'll hear word of how they did. Y'all can send me, y'all, hey, Joshua. And this was real neat about Joshua. The word says that he lingered or that the word says that he stayed when Moses left. What was that verse? It says in verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not from the tabernacle. He, depart, he, he followed him in there. Maybe not to the full inner court where Moses was at, but after Moses left, after Moses had this intercession breakdown, God says, okay, I won't, you know, I'll, I'll go with him. God, and Moses, whew, good, because I wasn't going. You and I, were, we were going to stay here. We're going to find out how they, were, how they did in the years ahead. Me and you will just, we'll just hang out here. But the Bible says that Joshua, even after Moses left, he stayed in the tabernacle. Moses was not willing to accept the blessing without the intimacy, without the intimacy of his presence. The most doctrinal man in the Bible, and, and I would say, I mean, that's arguable, but Paul, uh, when you say doctrine, New Testament, the most doctrinal man in the Bible disclosed that his heart was first to know him in intimacy face to face. You can teach the power of raising the dead perfectly. But without intimacy, the anointing will not accompany the doctrine. Now lingering, lingering, and it doesn't use that word that we just read, but it says that Joshua waited, he stayed. The word lingering 
Now, this isn't out of the Hebrew, but it's just out of our modern dictionary. Lingering means this, and most of you already know these things. It means to, sh- to be slow in parting or in quitting something. It means to tarry. Slow and to tarry. It's, it means to remain It means to wane, to, to wane, although often waning. The extent is uh, in strength. It just simply means to stay in that place wherever you're at. Even if things around you are displaced with all kinds of chatter, rhetoric. What's the chatter? Usually breaking yourself down this is the part of the dying process i've got something to do your mind gets incredibly creative you can be the laziest person on the planet and when you go into breaking down your flesh and lingering you will all of a sudden become the most creative, energetic. I've got to leave here because I hate mowing the yard, but I, I just feel so, I've been a louse. I've been a, I, I don't clean my house like I should. I don't, I'm not a good businessman. Now I'm going to go study the books like I should. I'm going to do, does it sound familiar? The flesh will engross you and it will fight against lingering. But I can tell you that the trade-off of lingering is incredible. Joshua, Joshua was the lingering protege of Moses. That's pretty good. He was the lingering protege of Moses. Now, I will say this, and I mean this. It's not a fanfare. I'm not just saying this as a play on words to get my message across I will feel that I have failed to some degree in my assignment here in Immokalee or my, my years of being your pastor if I don't produce some lingering protégés in our midst, male or female. I'm not just, but if some of these young people and if some of these people and all of you don't take on, you don't, I'm, not take, I'm not saying take on Pastor Bronx's heart, but if I can't project into you what Moses projected into Joshua unless you become a, pro, a, a lingering protege of being willing to say, Lord, there's something in that. There's something in that place of intimacy. There's something in that place of waiting on you. There's something in that. If I can't get that over to you, then I would feel like I'd somehow failed. But I believe that many of you will take up this cause and are already to some degree. Now, I will say this, and I mean this, and I know this sounds cute. It may sound cute, but it's sincere. I'll give this as a, as a sincere warning. If you have any, any phobias concerning addictions, then I would stay away from extended hours of private worship. I'm serious. <laughs> if you have any phobia, like I don't, I don't like to be addicted to stuff, Pastor, well, then I would stay away. Have you arrived, Pastor? Absolutely not, but I've went far enough into this to know, to know this. 
that in contrast to the flesh, it is more addictive than cocaine. It's more addictive than nicotine. It's more addictive than pornography. Well, Pastor, you've never, you don't have that testimony. Listen, I can tell you unequivocally that it has to be more addictive because you can get help on some of those things and people get by them. And we've heard powerful testimony. You can't ever get free from this addiction. If you ever go in far enough, it'll become, it becomes the life blood of your entire, it becomes the life source of your blood. Of your life in him, I should say it that way. The only thing that I have any inhibitions or problems with when I go away to, to teach or go to a conference or go to any place, I'm enjoying the time in the worship, I'm enjoying the time in teaching, I'm enjoying the time in fellowship, but I'm always jonesing on the inside to get back to that private place of intimacy with him. I'm like, man, I like you guys. I love you guys. Let's go get, let's, let's fellowship at another restaurant. But I, on the inside, I'm like, I, can't, I, got, I got to get back. Because there's no place like that private place with my cup of coffee and my chair and those wee hours of the morning speaking to him face to face and him coming back. The word lives in that. The power lives in that. You don't have that. Doctrine becomes formulas. Intimacy goes beyond ulterior motives. Prayer becomes the source of being transformed to, into his image. Prayer does not become the source of your success. In other words, you don't do it. Success will follow. It will follow. But you don't do it with an ulterior motive like, I'm coming in here so that I can, and I can be blessed. You want to know him. You want to know him. You want to be filled with his presence. Now, this is hard, but he scoffs at your million-dollar gift without intimacy. And it means very little to God. It's one thing for the world to give a million that don't know him. That's fine. I'll accept your million. You want to give us a million? That's fine. You don't have to even know him. We'll turn it into sanctified money. But it's another thing when those who say that they're called to be gospel entrepreneurs and yet they begin to get so entrenched in that that they trade off in hours, they come to know their call and then they begin to work their call so much that that becomes the essence of everything inside of them and when you're with them that's what they want to talk about that's what they want to all our calls all of our calls should be peripherals they should be the things that we know are there but the number one the focus the apple of our eye what's in front of us always is more of him and less of me hallelujah it's more addictive than cocaine. Well, you've never had that. No, but I know this. People get help from that and never do it again. I'll bet you that all of us who ever go into the fullness of this, will, you'll, will, there's no help for us. There's no hope for us.
your call, your ministry, your success are really, I know this sounds hard, but in the light of the, the, the close, closeness that we're preaching right now, they're really all failures if you never know him. Intimacy really despises, and I'll say this, and you'll know what I'm saying because out of the heart of what we're saying, intimacy despises the use of prayer for the sole purpose of of any kind of out of any kind of success outside of him i kind of messed that up let me read it again intimacy despises the use of prayer for the sole purpose of any kind of success outside of him thank you dave used to say this i remember he'd say this all the time he goes god is so much more concerned about the making of the man than the ministry so much more concerned. He used to say also, he said, when people, when the person who normally stays at home can come to church without any, now this is paraphrasing, so he said it much better, without any plastic, then we'll have revival. Because we don't bring the person at home here. We're all nicey-nice. We're all huggy-huggy. But when the man who treats his wife and his children and has integrity with God and what he looks at, what he thinks about, what he does, when that man can come unashamedly and lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting, revival lives in that. Revival lives in that. Glory be to God. We're getting closer. My good friend and our good friend and Homer's really good friend and all of us know him to some extent. Barry Johnson wrote me the other day, uh, yesterday, and said, Pastor, your Wednesday night message was meant so much and he was bringing out different things that I had said and, and how that it affected his, his life. And he said this one thing really affected him. The Lord challenged him to take the word intimacy and interchange it with the word charity in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. That's just what Donna was just doing. <laughs> Let me read that. You can turn there or not, but listen to this if you substitute that. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not intimacy, I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not intimacy, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not intimacy, it profiteth me nothing. Intimacy suffereth long, it's kind. Intimacy envieth not. Intimacy vaunteth not itself, it's not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemingly seeketh not her own it's not easily provoked it thinketh no evil rejoices not in iniquity but rejoices in truth beareth all things believeth all things and hopeth all things endureth all things success of ministry success of life in anything is a loss without intimacy ministers can um, they can build without fellowship you know, listen, you know where the body of Christ is. Jim, I'm sure, 
runs into all the time, Jim and Donna, they, they, you know, they travel, they, they have their own ministry there in the Montana, but all of you watching and all of you ministers in here, we all know this, and we're not trying to be, we're not trying to be puffed up. It just is what it is, and it shows you where the body of Christ is. They, most of the body of Christ, a, a, a major portion of it, don't even get it. It's not that it's a challenge to them and they're not doing it. They don't even get it. Because if you say to them, and, I, and, and sometimes I struggle of how to even coin it because it's kind of like an icebreaker, but if you say to them, you know, how's your church doing? Their equivocation of God is we've just added on a new wing. Uh, we've, we've started a new, uh, uh, you know, teens night with whatever. Uh, we've, the Lord is blessing our finances like crazy. Um, we've got a huge building project right now. Um, the congregation, that is, that's all, that's all things, but it's not him. And yet preachers will tell you exactly where they're at because their answer is out, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart. Wherever the trees, those, those two trees are still in the garden. Though we're in Christ, you can either go continually to that tree of life and eat from it, and your answer will be, how's your church doing? I'm telling you, God's moving. God, the, the power of God is moving in the saints. People are dying to self and crying out, God, give us a harvest like we've never had. That's how our church is doing. Our, our, our people are on their knees. They're crying out. They're fasting and praying for a revival like the book of Acts. And God is visiting us. That's the answer. Those two trees are still in the garden because we continually have this place. We have a place where we can go and eat from the tree of the knowledge. And I know it meant something then that it doesn't mean now inside of Christ, but we can still read books about him. We can even study knowledge from the Word of God. We can, even, we can even speak sound doctrine. The Holy Spirit will come and He'll anoint sound doctrine because it's sound doctrine. But that doesn't mean that you have the power then to turn and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out devils and bring an atmosphere. This revival is supposed to be not a, a person, uh, a, a pulpit. It's a Joel to revival the fivefold will still always be in administration but it is supposed joel the book of joel it's an army it's an ongoing force everyone is being used and it's a presence revival it's it's one where people can feel the actual tangible presence of almighty god it's not just the dictation of what they've heard what they've read even what they've studied gary carpenter said and i'm now within just a couple of minutes of closing he said there was a few years ago he said that he remembered I, lord i had those face-to-face -face encounters with you years ago where you would just come and he calls them the face-to-face -face documents and there's several of them they're so good if you've ever read from them and they were like he was saying i remember having those face-to-face -face encounters with you where you would just come and literally uh, you know, there's different ways that God speaks to us. He speaks to us through a witness. He speaks to us through revelation knowledge. But these were like verbatim. I mean, you, he, he could like actually, he actually would sit there and hear God and record it on his little recorder, and they typed it out later. And it was like, it was like Holy Ghost 
right in front of your face, speaking just intimate, and it was just, my God, some of the stuff that you read off of that is just incredible, and it's all word-based. You can find it in the Word. But it, those were intimate face-to-face -face encounters, he called them. He remembered, though he was teaching really good, and though he had a lot of revelation knowledge, and he was just like getting stuff, digging stuff out of the Word, and, and I, I won't do this quite justice, but I, this is what I remember, and I've heard him say this a few times. He said, then it dawned on him, I haven't had any of those face-to-face. -face. I mean, I'm teaching real good, but I haven't had any of those face-to-face -face encounters in a long time. Lord, what, what, what's, what's, what's up on that? And as I said, I won't do it justice. I wish I could say it like he said it. I'm trying to remember, take it from memory, but he said, son, whatever's important to you, that's where I come. And since it hasn't really been important to you in a long time to spend intimate fellowship with me, all I could do is come to you in the study part of you knowing my word and then you being able to teach sound doctrine. That's huge. The Holy Spirit wouldn't forsake him. He's still right there. But he only come to him in the part that he was giving him. It's so powerful. So powerful. Studied meditation will produce sound doctrine, and the Holy Spirit will anoint it when it is taught. But it will still not have the same effect on the teacher or the audience that ministry through intimacy will produce. Revival is our call behind knowing Him. The power in the miracles are not the objective. The objective is Him, and in Him we get everything. There are still two trees in the garden. Amen. Glory to God. Whew. We're going to go there, though. Yep. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we worship you because we feel and know this, that we're not speaking to the choir. We're, we're speaking to those, Lord, who really are hungry. And more than anything else, take us into that place of spending time with you and time with you in your word and time with you in everything that you are. We commit ourselves unto you and we thank you for this opportunity to go in another step further. Now, Lord, let these words be sown and sink deep into our hearts and we give you all the praise in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight.